This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. We're going to do a little 2019 NFL Draft Wrap-Up with Greg Armstrong and Dan Eason from Turn on the Jets. They, along with myself, did all of our initial reaction write-ups on the picks. I did an overview on the website today about the entire class. Uh, Clayton Smarslock will have his recap out tomorrow morning, uh, and then I'll be back in the normal publisher podcast every Thursday and Saturday rotation. But We wanted to get one out a little sooner since the draft just wrapped and Game of Thrones isn't starting for two hours, so... What better time to record a podcast? This will probably drop Monday morning, although we're recording it Sunday night. First guess up. Wait, and before we jump into talking with Craig, reminder, as always, subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Show your love. Always appreciated. It's been great to see the uh, surge around the podcast, both mine and uh, the Play Like a Jet feed in the past couple weeks. Let's keep it up. All right. First up. The man who launched and sustained our Instagram and has done ton of great draft coverage and just general work for Turn on the Jets over the past, I'd say, year and a half, two two years now, maybe longer. Yep. Greg Armstrong, Greg, how you doing? How you feeling? Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me. And second off, I am so happy this draft season is over with. It's very exhausting. Really, at the end of the weekend, it's just like a full gauntlet and it's like time for like a little quiet period for a couple weeks to catch your breath. Yeah, this is usually the time where I kind of shut off Twitter and just kind of do my own thing for a couple weeks and just get away from everything. Well, I can tell you over the weekend, I'm trying to think of some of the different insults I got on Twitter for just sharing <laughs> just sharing objective information about people's ages and health history. Uh, I've been called overweight multiple times, which is always interesting. Uh, on both Twitter and Instagram and from other beat writers' chats, he's the person who's actually went around to – complain about my weight there uh i've had people insult my family uh insult my full-time job insult the side job of course that we do it's just always so fun drafting and everyone's always so pleasant and happy i love it it makes zero sense considering like this team hasn't done anything and that's that's my been my biggest gripe is that we cover it objectively and this team hasn't done anything in you know 10 years and the minute we don't like a pick a sixth round pick out of you know pick a college it's Oh well, you guys suck. You're soulless. You know you you're so negative. And soulless. Like, <laughs> I love soulless. Was- I again, these aren't even like, and we'll get to these picks. Obviously, these weren't even like, oh my god, like this is an awful pick. It has no chance of working. It's just like here's some pros, here's some cons, here's why you could be concerned. And you would think, you know, two years removed from everyone getting mad that we questioned the Dylan Donahue pick, and one year removed from everyone getting mad that we questioned the Nathan Shepard pick, or any of these other grab bag of selections. You just approach them. They could work. They could not work. Most of the day three picks don't end up working anyway. It's not just to the Jets. It happens around the league. But we digress. Let's uh, let's start at the top. Were you? What was your initial reaction to the Quinn and Williams pick? Were you surprised by it at all? I felt like going in, it was basically there was equal odds that they were going to take Quinnen, take Ed Oliver, take Josh Allen. Or trade back, and there ended up being a lot of trade back steam to the point where I think an hour before the draft, everyone thought they were going to trade back, which ended up being misguided. But when they actually pulled the trigger on Quinnen, 
I didn't find it really surprising at all, certainly based on what we've seen in terms of taking a safer pick at the top and taking a guy who's more of the consensus highly rated player. What were your initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, going into it, like with the day of the draft, I, I, I hadn't really had the gut feeling that he was either going to be Quinnen or trade out. Uh, I personally wanted him to trade out and get more picks. But with Quinnen, I mean, you really can't go wrong. And it seems like we say this every single year, but he was the best player available. And I had him at number one on my entire big board for this year's class. I mean, when you look at him, if you if you want to watch one game, just watch the LSU game from last year. I always point people to that. But with Quinnen, like, he's not your prototypical run-stopping defensive tackle. He's kind of this new wave of defensive tackles who they can provide interior pressure and they can win in the run game as well. Like, there's sometimes where you see Quinnen you know, backside pursuit on runs to the, the complete opposite side of the field. Like, he's just a real gamer. And I was very okay with them picking Quinn. And I know it sucks that it's a, another interior D lineman. Um, but I think he's, it was a smart pick in the new wave of the way the NFL is going. And for me, I, I kind of soured on Josh Allen. I was a big proponent of his going into the draft and leading up to the draft. But like, the more I watched him, it seemed like he was more of a linebacker than an edge rusher. And if they would have taken him, it would have been like, eh, okay. Like, I didn't see, I didn't really see the hype for him being an edge rusher. I did like the way that he was, he could be a good edge rusher and also drop into coverage. But other than that, it was kind of just like, all right, we get a, an outside linebacker. So with that, I was, I was very okay with Quinn. I was actually kind of excited, which was shocking. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Locked. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Look, I think, and again, I think my concerns, I think Quinnen is going to be a very good player. I think he's going to be better than Leonard Williams. I think he's going to be better than what Muhammad Wilkerson even was at his best uh, and what Sheldon Richardson was. I kind of expect these next two years to see seasons that are somewhat similar in terms of production to what we saw from Richardson those first two years before his career kind of you know veered off track a little bit. And I think... Uh, that's a high-impact player and a guy who was a defensive rookie of the year and was even better, I think, in the year or two. I think the question becomes, and I think Dan did a good job outlining this, is can you get the most out of this defensive unit with how they're structured? And when really your pressure is going to come up the middle, and offenses work to try to scheme around that. We've seen the teams that only build to have interior pass rush and are deficient on the edge, and the Jets, of course, will get to, took a swing at addressing the edge later in the draft, can have problems sometimes getting after the quarterback. So it's going to be on Greg Williams to get creative with how he uses Leonard Williams, Quentin Williams, Henry Anderson, uh, McClendon, and whoever else they want to rotate through up front along with their linebacker group. So I think safe pick. I think this is the fourth time in five years the common analysis is that the Jets got the best player in the draft, and that's great that that's always the common analysis. It will be better when it starts resulting in more wins and more consistent all-pro appearances from all these players, which we've already had Adams finally check that box, and hopefully some more players join him slowly. But look, I even though as someone who admittedly is not doing was not doing backflips when they made the pick, it's impossible to be mad about it or think it was 
you know, totally misguided. We, we don't have any, you know, clarity into what trade down offers were on the table. It was an understandable pick, a high floor pick, a guy who also has a high ceiling too. And I think best case scenario could be one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL within the next couple of years. And even worst case scenario, I think it's still a very good player for them. So they make that pick. We get a whole nother round of potential trade-up rumors, which, depending on who the player was, it's good or was not good that it was unconsummated. Uh, but either way, it doesn't happen. So they stay put, and they take a guy that I had mocked to them in my ideal mock draft with the 68th pick in Ja'Kai Play, a guy a lot of us had talked about and hoped that they would potentially take a swing on uh, with their first third-round pick. And I, I like this pick a lot. I think there's absolutely risk associated with it, but 21 years old, productive in the highest level of competition at college, natural pass rusher, great first step. You have to take some risks on day two, especially if you need to try to fix your pass rush. And while I'm not crazy about going defense, defense to open the draft, because again, I I very much believe that offense is more important than defense in today's NFL. I like the value they got with polite there. And this feels like a pick that I think everybody liked, and it's hard not to like, and I think, look, yes, there are, of course, risks with this pick. There's a reason he went in the third, but what what were your initial thoughts on it? I I was honestly kind of shocked, A, that he was still there, and B, that McCagney took a, a swing on a guy like this. I mean, thinking back to his drafts, I think this is really the first kind of swing uh, on a player like Polite who has all-world potential, but then he bombs the combine. Um, Polite was a guy, you know, before the combine where there was legitimate talk that he could be edge two. I mean, it was kind of like Bosa was the clear-cut number one. And then for me, it was kind of just a a trio. It was kind of like pick your poison of Alan Polite and my personal favorite, Brian Burns. But but Polite, yeah, he he has a chance to really solve this Jets edge uh, problem that they've had, which seems like my entire life. Uh, And if there's anybody that can really do get the most out of him i think it's greg williams uh but yeah polite's game like you said he he, he performed really really well in the sec uh, you see it with the bend off the edge you see it with just the pure pass rushing ability uh he's not great in the run game but when you have an edge like that you don't you're not going to be asking him to really do anything in the run game you, you have Kevin williams you have those guys on the d line so i was ecstatic that mccagnan a took this swing and b that he was still there because we have not seen uh, him really take a, a stab at a guy like this in his entire tenure. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. A, a little outside the box again, going younger, taking a bit of a risk, and I'm glad because it's time to do something different because what you, you can't keep doing exactly the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and I think it was, it was an exciting pick, and I think there's a lot of potential here, and I don't doubt that he could really become their best edge rusher like right away. Now you have to hope that you know, he continues to grow, and he'll grow on and off the field. He's only 21, uh, but a worthwhile swing at the top of the third round. Now, the Jets, later in the third round, end up trading up one pick, giving up their seventh-round pick, and they would end up getting a pick back later in the draft, so they still made six overall selections to take another guy that uh, I actually had mocked to them as well, Sam Darnold's former right tackle uh, at USC, Chuma Doga, a guy I think physically checks all the boxes as even a high third-round pick or late second-round pick. I think the concerns around him are that he became a bit of a late riser because of his performance at Senior Bowl. Sometimes that could be a little misleading. There are some general questions about his motivation level or love of the game, and sometimes that could be a major red flag. Sometimes that stuff is overstated. These kids are young. Again, he's only 21, which, again, I love that their first three picks are only 21 years old. 
It's the highest the Jets have taken an offensive lineman since McCagnan has become the GM in the back half of the third round here. I think the thought with him is that he's your top backup tackle this year. If Brandon Shell is not right or misses some time, like he has every year he's been here, maybe we see him a little bit this year. But I think the real hope is that he could become a starter for you on either the right or the left side uh, in 2020. And I like the comparison from a player standpoint on the field to Kelvin Beecham. I think there's a lot of similarities in how they play the game. Uh, and I think that comparison, which I saw in a few places before the draft, makes a lot of sense. Now, is he going to reach that ceiling? I don't know. A mid-round offensive lineman uh, could be a bit of a dart throw. For every Brandon Shell who started a lot the past couple of years, you get a Jarvis Harrison who never plays a game. So... I like the value. I like finally going offensive line. I really like the Jets' day two of the draft. I would actually say it was my favorite day uh, overall. I, I left day two being very happy with how their first three picks went. What were your thoughts on Adoga? I was a little bit shocked that they went with Adoga. I personally would have taken Yanni Kajust out of uh, West Virginia, and I'm very pissed that the, the Patriots ended up snagging him, snagging him a couple picks later, or even Bobby Evans. But yeah, you really can't go wrong with Adoga. I mean, I was reading up on him and I was watching some of his film, and he's he's the type of guy that will put you into the turf and then stand over you and let you know it. And this Jets team kind of needs guys like that. And I mean, he's okay in run, uh, in run blocking, which whatever. Um, but in the past, in past, bro, he's just a bully. Like he's he's a dog, um, which this team needs more of. And I think the the big thing with Adoga is that if Sam gave him the stamp of approval, I'm ready to ride with him because if I mean we're building around Sam. That's that's what it has to be. And playing with Adoga and standing behind Adoga, if Sam gives him the stamp of approval, I am I have nothing to do but just be on board with it as well. All right, Greg. Before we let you go and talk with. Dan Eason about their last uh, two picks or their day. Actually, no, we still got to talk Wesco with you as you did your initial reaction oh, yeah. to him as well. We got to get back to the offense and then we'll talk quick front office rumors and leaks and then we'll let you get on with your Sunday night. So their first pick on day three ends up being Trevin Wesco, tight end from West Virginia, a guy who really was not a pass catcher in college, had 28 catches, 26 of them were last year. Known predominantly for his blocking. When you look at the Jets roster right now, he almost feels like the kind of guy who can move between fullback, H-back, number two tight end, allow them to move Herndon around. We've talked about this a lot as being a position they need to address. Now, Wesco's a guy who seems to really be a darling of the draft community. Brian Baldinger loves him. Matt Miller loves him. Sometimes that ends up meaning a lot. Sometimes it doesn't end up meaning anything. I think a lot of these guys like a lot of people because they study them, and that's not to you know discount their opinions. They can very well be right on the mark. I would say, you know, with him, I think I have a hard time projecting a guy who was not a pass catcher in college coming to the NFL and all of a sudden being a threat in the passing game. But the Jets don't really need him to do that, as he'd be sixth or seventh or eighth in the pecking order behind their other guys. If he could be a quality number two tight end who is a good blocker, which seems to be his bread and butter, and allow them to kick Eric Tomlinson and Jordan Leggett off the roster, I think that's fine. So I think, you know, understand, like them going offense back-to-back, they definitely needed to address tight end. The value seems reasonable uh, from most people's, you know, consensus on where he was supposed to go. So I, I think pretty solid overall and definitely a pick I like better than their other two day three picks. Yeah, with Wesco... I I honestly didn't know much about him coming into the draft. And then when I was doing uh, some reading on him and watching some of his stuff, 
this dude is a bully. I mean, he's 6'4", 270. Um, they, uh, what I was reading from kind of West Virginia people was they didn't really utilize him in the offense in college, which I mean, I see that a lot for, for college players. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy, like you said, he's a versatile guy. He can play multiple positions. Um, it seems like he offers more in the passing game than a guy like Eric Tomlinson, which makes Eric Tomlinson, I think, he should be off the roster tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, this guy is a bully. Um they need if they're not going to address offensive line like we wanted them to. I like this pick simply because of the blocking thing. Um, it it makes no sense why they don't they didn't draft offensive line in this draft earlier. Uh, but Wesco seems like a nice consolation prize. And like I said, if if they can utilize him in the passing game, maybe in like short distance, you know, third and short, or even in the red zone, I think it'll be it'll turn out to be a, a phenomenal. I, I wouldn't say steal, but a phenomenal value pick uh, in the fourth round and. I'm just happy they went tight end and repl- and kind of bolstered that death because I have been getting, you know, crap on Twitter for months now saying mocking tight ends to the Jets and people coming at me with they don't need another tight end to have Chris Herndon. I don't understand what it is with this fan base and why they don't want to add depth at positions. I mean, do you want to see Eric Tomlinson and Jordan Leggett uh, lining up in pivotal games in November or December if Herndon goes down? It made no sense, but I'm glad they addressed tight end position. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I've, it's been interesting to see the range of opinions on him. You've had I've seen people say this is a guy who should drop a little weight and become more active in the passing game, and then I've seen other people say he should put on 15 pounds and just become a tackle because he's such a good blocker. I don't think either of those are going to happen, uh, but I do see him kind of projecting as a number two blocking tight end. And look, I think I think the value is good. The athleticism is encouraging for a guy who's a blocking tight end. I understand the criticisms that some people said that, look, it's a blocking tight end. You could find blocking tight ends as undrafted free agents. You could find them anywhere. We'll see how it plays out. If he ends up locking down that position for a while and being a compliment to Herndon for a few years, then you end up saying, okay, it was worth using a fourth-round pick on it. So before we let you go, what did you think of the swarm of rumors uh, that came out about the front office between day one and day two? My guess, and this is just one man's guess, based on what I read and what I overheard and what I've heard the past few months. And again, I am not a reporter. If I had anything to report, I would report it for the 10,000th time. I am not a beat writer. I'm not a reporter. Never have been. Uh, my guess, and again, a guess, is that Brian Heimerdinger and a subsection of the front office or the scouting department has disagreed with some of the decisions that Mike McCagnan has made. Now, the friction between him and Gase, I think that's a separate thing and a separate conversation. I think if there's any changes to the Jets' front office anytime soon, as in the next couple months, it's Heimerdinger going somewhere else and maybe a couple people going with him who are scouts or whatever else in the infrastructure. McCadden's not going anywhere until at least after this season. Uh, friction with him and Gase, I think, is something that's inevitable because Gase had personnel control in Miami. I definitely did hear rumblings that they disagreed about players like Le'Veon Bell and Matt Paradis and a few other players, but that's kind of normal. And how serious that is, I don't know. But I think of a riff in the front office when people are talking about front office changes. I go to Heimerdinger going somewhere else, not not McCagnin. What, what was your read on it? Yeah, I mean... If if the the rumors I could you kind of piece things together and if Heimerdinger who you know executed the the Sam trade if he wanted to trade back and McCagnin kind of gave that no I could definitely see that because 
with the front office, like it, imagine being behind a guy at your job or at whatever job the listeners have, and the guy in front of you hasn't done anything in four years. Meanwhile, you know you're working your tail off trying to get these players, and he just he just says no. He you, it doesn't make any sense. Like I know I know I've been you've been like McCagney should have been let go after this season. I think this could have been you know resolved with that. But yeah, I could easily see Heimerdinger and them, you know, having a feud with McCagney now. Do I think Heimerdinger should be the one to go? No, honestly. I think if they were smart, they would have promoted him to GM and let McKagan go before the season. But that's in the past. We really can't change that. It's really not worth discussing now. But I think it'd be a huge mistake if Heimerdinger was the one to be let go after the season or even before the season. Uh, I don't don't think McKagan's been really good at his job. And I think this team would need a swing like promoting Heimerdinger and just to show them that they're not a dinosaur football team when it comes to to personnel standpoint. I, I know team-wise, they're kind of coming into the 21st century with offense and whatnot, but I think it'd be a, a real real swing on Heimerdinger, one I think that would pay off. I agree, I agree. All right, Greg Armstrong, thank you for joining us. Everybody, make sure to follow Greg on Twitter. Everyone, make sure to also check out his writing at turnonthejets.com and to follow all his work on the Turn on the Jets Instagram. On Twitter, he is Greg Armstrong underscore. Greg, thank you for joining us. Enjoy Endgame tonight. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. And we are now joined by our second guest for our NFL 2019 Draft Recap Podcast. He recapped all of the Jets, or two of the three Jets Day 3 picks, and did the undrafted free agent running blog. Low-key underrated article, which is like one of the most popular things that we put out everywhere. People love undrafted free agents. And every now and then one of them leaks through and you get a Robbie Anderson. And then every year they always seem to like sign a fullback and everyone gets excited about him and he never makes the team. So you never know with undrafted free agents. But Dan Eason, thank you for joining us. How you feel on this Sunday night post-NFL draft? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. You know, uh, it was it was a mixed bag to say the least on uh, throughout the weekend. So uh, yeah, definitely plenty to talk about. So with Greg, we just wrapped up talking about Wesco, who they took in the fourth round. Let's talk about their last two picks. And candidly, these were my least two favorite picks of the day. It felt very much like the kind of picks that people would joke about the Jets making before they make them. And that's not to say they might not end up working out because day three is dart throws, but you never know. So. Their pick after Wesco, they end up going back to the well at inside linebacker and at a Minnesota take Blake Cashman in the fifth round. Uh, a guy a little undersized, uh, pretty good athleticism, led the Gophers in tackles last year, tested really well. Uh, a 23-year-old, had three shoulder surgeries uh, throughout his college career, um, would seem to further spell the end of Darren Lee, considering how much the Jets have invested in inside linebacker when it comes to free agency and draft picks. I think if they keep Lee, that basically slots in Cashman as their like fifth inside linebacker because they bought Neville Hewitt back, but definitely seems to have the the build of a guy who could be a good special teamer right away. Look, I know you never want to be going for need. You want the most talented guy on the board. I have a hard time believing there weren't guys who played other positions that were ranked very comparably on the Jets board, and I just... Another inside linebacker. I, I have a hard time seeing where he cracks through and makes an impact here. Could be wrong. Maybe he's a better version of what the Jets wanted Darren Lee to be all those years ago. Uh, but what was your initial reaction to the Cashman pick? So it was interesting because uh, before the draft, kind of to like my to myself, I was kind of wondering uh, if Greg Williams would try to go after 
uh, an inside linebacker and how early he would do it. Because uh, I'm convinced that he wants to transition a little sooner uh, to a 4-3. Um, so I was wondering if, hey, if he if he does this at some point, um, you know, and does pick up a kind of a, uh, you know, somebody who can make an immediate impact, then, uh, you know, we we kind of get this the signs what they're what they're pointing to. Uh, but you know, after day two, it's kind of like, okay, well, they're probably not going to do that. They may take a chance on more skill position players, considering all the skill position players that kept falling uh, or running back or thing, uh, things like that. Um, just trying to help help uh, Sam Donald out on offense, but. Uh, he went back to inside linebacker uh, with Blake Cashman, and uh, Cashman, obviously, like we talked about, is really athletic. You know, he had the four five forty, really good sub seven three cone. Uh, but like the the best availability, the best av- available, excuse me, the best ability is availability, uh, and he keeps getting hurt. So the three sur- shoulder injuries uh, is not going to get better in the NFL. That's I remember, uh, I think it was Connor Rogers uh, one time on a draft podcast said, uh, shoulder injuries are the worst thing you can have as a, as a linebacker because that's literally the most important <laughs> uh, thing on your body if you're going to play the position of linebacker uh, and making that transition to the NFL with already messed up shoulders is terrifying. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it, it was an interesting pick. I definitely like his athleticism. I think that's a huge plus. Uh, I think... Uh, a good example of kind of where he could fit is someone like Kevin Pierre Lewis, uh, who also had a share of, you know, issues with injuries, uh, but uh, really did a great job on special teams for Brand Boyer last year. Um, so yeah, if this was a Brand Boyer pick, then sure. Yeah. Maybe it could work out. He's not going to be, uh, if they kind of plan on using him as a special teams utility uh, kind of guy and um, not really that significantly on defense, then okay, uh, just seemed like they could have gone in other directions with that, uh, particularly if he's not going to be seeing the field that often. Uh, so, yeah, it was a weird one. I, I like his athleticism, but I just would have liked to see another team take a chance on him uh, and see if it works out. But, yeah, strange fit with the Jets. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Yeah, and I, I like – like. Galliard was still on the bar- board there, who the Cardinals ended up taking, and I feel like he's a guy who could have pushed right. the playing time at center, like now, and, and and also been a smart long-term investment. Obviously, Harmon was still floating around, a guy that a lot of people wanted to see the team take a swing on. Uh, right. Then we look at their sixth-round pick, and we stay on the injury concern front. So, Blasson Austin, a cornerback, local guy from Rutgers. I, I did not believe you when you first actually slacked this over to me, and we were we were digging through for more information. And you know, I heard his name in passing a few times because he plays around here. But five games in two seasons, uh, multiple serious. Uh, I believe he's tore his ACL twice, uh, or had two very serious knee surgeries in recent years, and basically decided to just declare for the draft rather than pushing through another year of college. Um, you know, has shown some good ball skills in the limited time he played. He has good size, 200 pounds, 6'1". I just, five games in two years at the college level at Rutgers, uh, I don't know how the durability holds up. And they already said he's probably going to start this season on the pup list. He's 23, just like Cashman was and just like Wesco was. So after the Jets started so good with their young prospects, and I had to tweet about it, I jinxed it, and they drafted three straight 23-year-olds. Um <laughs> 
I just I see a Jeremy Clark. I think you said this. I see a Jeremy Clark situation. I don't have any reason to believe that he's going to be able to stay healthy or be an impact player at this level. And look, I know all these picks are dart throws. It just feels like you could have moved a little closer for this dart throw. Uh, I, I was surprised. I know they needed a corner, but I was surprised they went with someone with this many injury concerns. Yeah, that's that's really what uh, kind of it was confusing to me. Uh, Particularly given the the previous history, it felt like, um, you know, given what happened with, like we talked about Jeremy Clark, given uh, how long it's taken for Derek Jones to develop and things like that, it just seemed like maybe he would move away from the, like, uh, you know, stash away six-round pick where it's like, hey, he can hide for a year, maybe a year and a half. Uh, and then if he pans out, you know, he'll start getting on the field. If he doesn't, uh, then you know, he'll quietly be cut and moved on from. Uh, it, it was just, I don't know, it, it just didn't feel like a great use of a pick, uh, especially considering, you know, that UDFA is still coming around. Like, um, who knows? Obviously, he could have been drafted later on, but um, it, it just it, it was a strange pick. Like, it's the lack of experience at already a school that, uh, you know, isn't really known for NFL talent or NFL uh, players coming out. Uh, you know, it, it's worrying because it's like, uh, you know, given he's not taking, he hasn't had time on the field. Uh, you don't know what kind of practice time he's he's had, uh, what experience that's given him, how that's prepared him for the NFL. Uh, so there's just so little to go through uh, to kind of be like, hey, you know, uh, I think this will work out. And it really just felt like the pick of someone who is a former scout and feels like he knows more than everybody else uh, and says, hey, I can predict this guy's. Uh, upside with you know five games in the last two years um and that's obviously really risky uh and <laughs> i know who knows i'm sure every just fan will say uh you don't know as much as mike mccagnan you don't have his job you're not in this position and no i'm not but i've also rarely ever seen these things pan out uh and it's when you kind of keep going to the well on a certain strategy and it's not working and it's been five drafts or so uh it starts getting to be really frustrating and worrying uh so um for example a team like the chiefs they took a chance on a guy named darwin thompson later on in that sixth round he's running back from Utah state uh he's ridiculously athletic he's so he's really strong uh and like he's 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 gonna be easy tool for andy reed something that he does every single year it seems like he finds somebody that's gonna be really useful in his offense every single year in the draft really late it seems like or uh towards the middle of the draft um and we kind of just brush it off like ah, okay you know it's it's the chiefs but it's like uh you can't just keep ignoring other teams you know kind of finding diamonds uh later on um, just because they they have you know a really good scouting department and they have somebody they can trust in there um, or somebody that trusts their scouts, um, and which is another kind of interesting thing I found was that uh, in the cheese pressers their scout was talking about the Darwin Thompson selection, uh, which was interesting because like we said Mike McCann was the only one talking about it any every single pick and at one point uh, we didn't really see see anybody else in the draft uh, so. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's it's a really long explanation of to basically say uh, I thought they could have taken chances with other positions and other players that could have brought more. But uh, yeah, he, he will start. Austin starts the season on the pup list, so um, yeah, it's another stash pick. Yeah, it just seems like if you only have six picks, like 
you really want to skew more towards guys who you trust could be on the field. And I just think a linebacker who's had three shoulder surgeries and a corner who's played five games in two years, like it's not crazy to think that those two guys like may never really see the field here, especially if they can't stay healthy. And that puts you down to four players, which means you really need to like hit on those four. And look, if Quentin Williams ends up being a better version of Sheldon Richardson and is an all-pro consistently and Ja'Kai Polite gets double-digit sacks, the rest of this class could end up being punted and they'll be fine. Uh, but, I mean, the odds of both of those things happening probably aren't great. Maybe one of the two of them. Uh, you know, it's hard. And, you know, with only six picks, like, you, you have a less less of a window for one of these guys to potentially break through. Who on the undrafted free agent list jumped off the page to you? Um, I know most people seem to be the most excited about uh, the receiver from Wake Forest, Greg Dortch, uh, tiny guy, 5'7", uh, 170 pounds, but uh, they also added uh, Jamie Mosley from Alabama, John Battle from LSU. Who were you like particularly excited about and think may have a chance to stick? Also, ironically, the person that I would have answered this with, uh, it turns out he's a Bronco. So that broke my heart. <laughs> Uh, kind of late last or, you know, yesterday evening, I think around like eight or nine, I don't know. But uh, it was Malik Reed. I really was hoping he'd be a Jet. Uh, but I won't talk about him just because he's not a Jet. Uh, so Greg Dortch uh, obviously was uh, really exciting. He's, uh, his production is like the main uh, eye-opener. Uh, just ridiculous. <laughs> the last two years before he uh, got out of Wake Forest. Um, just he got over a thousand yards last season, and he's five seven hundred seventy three pounds. Uh, but when you watch him play, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, he's breaking tackles. Uh, he has great contact balance for somebody who's you know so light uh, and so short. Uh, I mean, well, the shortness helps, but <laughs> for somebody who's so light, uh, he has great contact balance. He's able to break some tackles um, from sizable defensive backs. Uh, he had eighty nine catches. Uh, for 1,078 yards, uh, he can return punts. Um, so it's he, he's somebody who's kind of multifaceted. Uh, so you know he's he can he can definitely compete in a wide receiver room. Uh, but the Jets need a returner um, after losing Andre Roberts, uh, who's going to have his revenge twice a year against the Jets, like he's continuing to talk about. But I think Dorch is even more exciting because he's young. Um, he has good college experience returning punts, um, and he did it really well. Uh, he, so that adds a nice little dynamic uh, advantage for his uh, chances of making the roster, uh, especially if he's able to get on Brant Boyer's good side. So, uh, yeah, he was super exciting to me. Um, I really liked Jalen Moore from Appalachian State's uh, production. The last two seasons, he, he went over 1,000 yards rushing. Um and, uh, yeah, he's averaging, like, six yards a carry, uh, which is really good. Um, so he, he's kind of somebody who's kind of balanced, which I think was a good uh, type of running back to pursue uh, to, to complement Le'Veon Bell. I wasn't really a big fan of the Ty Montgomery signing. Um, so I feel I feel like somebody like Jalen Moore at least is the prototype of what I felt like would be a good backup to Le'Veon Bell, somebody who kind of has a similar uh, skill set but is a little bit faster um, and still shifty, can still catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, so, yeah, I think those two were really jumped out to me the most out of the group. Yeah, I mean, look, there's usually one or two guys who find a way to break through out of these groups, um, and hopefully they find their 
you know, another Robbie Anderson type gem to get excited about. Um, before we let you go, what just so you have a chance to talk about them, what were your sort of snap reactions to the day two picks of Polite and Adoga? Uh, day two is was probably the happiest I've been about the Jets drafting in a long time. Uh, really, really like Polite. Um, I felt like from a week-to-week basis during the college football season, it was just watching him and Josh Allen basically the whole season for me. <laughs> like, making sure I knew when they were on, making sure I knew what channel they were on, um, you know, just getting to see, like, hey, what are your strengths, strengths and weaknesses? Uh, and I felt like, you know, by the end of the season, I was like, yeah, I, I like both of these guys. I would feel comfortable with the Jets taking either one of them. Uh, they both looked incredible. Uh, great band, obviously. Uh, Polite plays pretty well against a run, better than most people think. Um, and then the off-season program or the the draft training program in the in the off-season happened, and it it did not go well for Polite, whereas it did go well for Allen, and they kind of just went their separate ways. Uh, so I felt like he was a good value in the third round, um, and he was obviously going through things that I mean, who knows what was going on. Um, but if the Jets, uh, particularly if Greg Williams himself signed off on this pick, then I feel really good about it because Greg Williams is a uh he's a crazy person <laughs> uh he's some he's the coach that doesn't take crap he doesn't take uh any type of like you know laziness or anything like that um he's not going to take somebody that has any character issues or somebody that he doesn't feel like he can depend on um and somebody who doesn't have the fire that he does uh so if he signed off on that pick uh then yeah i feel really good about it because that's one of the things that uh, I was potentially scared about with the match is that, hey, can this kid take coaching from Greg Williams? Um, and if he's okay with it, then I am. Uh, and for Chuma Idoga, uh, I'm not just happy because he's Nigerian, which I continue to uh, pump that brand on my account, but uh, uh, being a teammate of Sam Darnold, I think everyone's kind of talking about it throughout uh, the process is, hey, if, if, you know, if Sam Darnold kind of uh, signs off on this, then you know that he's uh, probably a good kid. Um, and yeah, it seems like he did sign off on it. Uh, and yeah, he has, he played uh, pretty well for USC, but I think he did even better for himself at the senior bowl. He seemed to stand out really well there. Um, had some really good reps against guys that people thought were kind of on the up. And then suddenly they weren't, uh, like O'Shane Zimenez was like a rumored, Oh, he might get in there in the late first round. He might get in there in the second round. Uh, and then suddenly after senior bowl practice, eh, maybe he's not that good. And, you know, Chuma and Doko is part of that reason. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm really happy about the Jets getting him in and having somebody uh, younger and I think potentially more talented than uh, what they have at right tackle and for the future what they have at left tackle. Uh, so I think he can kind of work his way up uh, to eventually becoming their long-term uh, starting tackle. All right, Dan Eason, thank you for joining us. You could follow his work at turnonthejets.com. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter. We'll have the handle linked out in the podcast description. Dan, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Joe. I, I hope this podcast was, was positive enough for uh, some of the Jets fans out there. <laughs> a lot of positivity. Don't get mad at us, Jet fans. Get mad at the team. Don't get mad at us. We're just we're just out here doing our thing. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks, and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon.